Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to begin this morning by giving glory and honor to God for the privilege of being the chapel speaker for the day. When I consider the persons who have stood and will stand behind this sacred desk, I realize that I stand among spiritual giants. Therefore, I do not take this opportunity lightly. And so I want to express my deepest appreciation to Reverend Legrone, and I don't see her in her absence. I think she is not here this morning, and to Tori and the chapel office staff for extend the invitation to me to be here with you today. I also want to uh, just extend my uh, gratitude to my mother and just recognize her uh, presence here with us today. I am just so, so indeed uh, grateful for the many ways that she demonstrates her love and her support for me in the ways that God has called me to ministry. She has always um, just been a great supporter and so I am thankful for her. In prayerfully considering what I might use for a text this morning, I was led to the lectionary as we are in this holy season of Lent. And I discovered that the theme for this week's readings is forgiveness and reconciliation. And of the readings for this week, the one that preached to me the most was Psalm 32. There David rejoices and calls others to rejoice because of his own experience with God's divine forgiveness. And because the text preached to me so powerfully, it just seemed right that I share it with you today. Now I want to make this disclaimer. I don't have anything profound or new to share with you this morning. Rather, I have come simply to encourage us and to remind us of who we are in the Lord. And so as we enter into this preaching moment, I ask that you would pray for me and with me as I speak from the theme this morning, the blessedness of forgiveness. The blessedness of forgiveness. Would you pray with me? Gracious, loving, and forgiving God, we give you thanks for the beauty of this day and for the privilege of gathering with like-minded believers to worship you. In these next few moments, O oh God, I ask that you speak to me and through me as I speak to your people. I pray that I would decrease, that your spirit might increase in me. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Spirit of the living God, Fall afresh on me and all of us gathered here in Estes and those viewing around the world via live stream. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 
several years ago, I came across a short story titled The Room, written by John Harris. Perhaps some of you are familiar with it. It is a story of forgiveness. And the story begins with the line, somewhere between wakefulness and sleep, I find myself in a room. And in this story, there's a young man in a room where there's this wall covered with file cabinets filled with index cards like the ones they used to have in libraries, except these file cabinets stretched from floor to ceiling. And as the young man opened the drawers and read the cards, he discovered that the cards cataloged his life. Some of the cards brought memories of joy, but others a sense of shame and regret so intense that he would look over his shoulder to see if anybody was watching as he read. The cards reminded him of friends he had betrayed, lies he had told, jokes he had laughed at, things he had done in his anger. One particular card caused him to tremble at its detailed content. The, that particular card listed lustful thoughts. Then there was the card titled, People I've Shared the Gospel With. The cards it contained could be counted on one hand. Each of the cards were written in his own handwriting, signed with his own signature, confirming the truth of its content. Determined that no one ever see the cards, the young man yanked a drawer from, from its file cabinet only to discover that he was unable to destroy the cards. He fell to his knees and he began to cry in shame. No one must ever see this room, he thought. I'll lock it and hide the key. As he began to wipe away his tears, he saw Jesus there in the room with him. He watched helplessly as Jesus opened the files and read the cards. It, it seemed that Jesus went right to the worst ones. And when the young man looked at Jesus' face, he saw a sorrow on Jesus' face that was deeper than his own. And he dropped his head and he began to cry again. And Jesus walked over to the young man and put his arm around him and he didn't say a word, he just cried with him. And then Jesus got up and he walked back to the wall of files and starting at one end of the room, he went to one file drawer after the other and one by one he began to sign his name over the young man's name on each card. And there it was. The name of Jesus covered the young man's. It was written in red. It was written with his blood. Jesus placed his hand on the young man's shoulder and said, it is finished. The young man stood up and Jesus led him out of the room. There was no lock on the door. There were cards still to be written. I share this story with you because to me it gets at the heart of what Psalm 32 is all about. It's about God's divine forgiveness. It's about the joy of knowing that we have been or can be delivered from the guilt, the penalty, and the power of sin. It's about the joy of knowing that on this side of the resurrection, our sins have been covered by the blood of Jesus. 
That's good news. I share it also because it's my story and everyone's story who has recognized their sinfulness and their need for forgiveness. While our sins may have not been the same, there was something in our lives that separated us from God. But God, who is rich in mercy, provided a remedy for our sins so that we could be reconciled to him. And those who know what it means to be forgiven can testify to what David says in verses 1 and 2 of our text. Blessed, happy, joyful are those whose transgressions have been forgiven, whose sins have been covered, those to whom the Lord does not count their iniquities against them. Enlisting transgressions, sins, and iniquities, David addresses the totality of sin from unintentional sin to willful disobedience, to outright moral failure. God will forgive it all if we will confess and repent. And so we rejoice today in knowing that our God is a forgiving God, no matter how dreadful or how grievous our sins might be. That's good news. We are now in the fourth week of Lent. Four weeks ago, we embarked upon a 40-day journey of self-examination and repentance. The Lenten season calls us to examine the card catalog of our lives, looking for those places in our lives that are not in alignment with who God wills for us to be. It challenges us to search for any sin in our lives that is separating us from God and to repent and cry out for mercy, seeking God's forgiveness. God's Divine forgiveness is an element of the Lenten season that we don't talk about as much as we do repentance, but the truth go, the, the two rather go hand in hand. Repentance is necessary for forgiveness. Forgiveness is necessary for a right relationship with God. The Hebrew word for forgive as it, as it is used in this passage means to lift up or, or take away. The good news, as we have already heard, is that if we confess our sin, God, who is faithful and just, will take away our sin. And not only will God take away our sin, the Bible says that he will purify us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. God will wipe the card catalog of our lives clean, and he will look upon us as if we never sinned. Why? David tells us, in Psalm 103, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. God does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Micah tells us that God will tread our sins underfoot and he will hurl our iniquities into the depths of the sea. Growing up in the church, I used to hear pastors and, and just people in general say all the time that God will throw our sins into the sea of forgetfulness to be remembered no more. I heard it so much, I, I thought it was a verse of scripture. That God will throw our sins into the sea of forgetfulness to be remembered no more. There are some people who think that God can't use them because of some 
past failure. They think that their past is too sordid. They think that they can never be good enough for God to use them. But what we need to remember is that God's grace is greater than our sin. There may be someone here who has come to seminary out of obedience to God, or you are serving in some capacity out of obedience to God, but you feel like a fraud because of something that has happened in your life. God wants you to know that his grace is greater than your sin, and you are good enough because God said so. If you have confessed and sincerely repented, God has hurled your sins into the depths of the sea, God wants you to know that he loves you with an everlasting love. And when he looks at you, he does not see the mistakes of your past. What God sees is a person created in his image and all the possibilities of what you can achieve and what you can become because of the ways that God has uniquely gifted you. If you find yourself constantly being reminded of the mistakes of your past, which you know you have placed under the blood of Jesus Christ, No, those reminders are not coming from God. That is contrary to God's nature. God would not use your past as a weapon to keep you from enjoying or experiencing the joy of his salvation. And so as I see it, it's either one or two things that is happening, perhaps even both. Either you need to forgive yourself and forget what is behind, and press toward that which is ahead that God has for you, or you it's Satan, a strategy of Satan to keep you bound up in your past so that you can't press to, ahead toward that which God has for you. Either way, you have to learn to recognize the reminders for what they are so that you can experience them and live in the joy of God's salvation. I realize that not everyone has a past that haunts them, or that causes them shame and regret. But the truth is, we have all sinned. We have all made mistakes. We are all works in progress. And my suspicion is that many of us have days when we feel down on ourselves, and we need to be encouraged. And in those moments, it is important that we speak God's truth about who we are over our lives. It is important that we declare biblical truths over our lives like I am the righteousness of God and I have great joy because I obey God's commands and God and I abide in God's love. I am not perfect, but my life brings honor to Christ, which pleases God. And as I continue to work out my salvation, God works in and through me according to his will and purpose. And knowing these things, I am convinced that the negative thoughts and feelings going through my mind about myself are not coming from God, and I will not give opportunity to the devil or to my fickle feelings to steal my joy. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible, what tells me so. So this day, I proclaim, I will rejoice and be glad. For I am no longer a slave to fear and shame and regret, for I am a child of God. Sometimes we have to speak over ourselves and encourage ourselves in the Lord. We have to speak over ourselves and encourage ourselves in the Lord. Looking back at our text in verses 1 and 2, 
David proclaims the blessedness of forgiveness. And then in verses 3 through 5, he describes his own battle with unconfessed sin and the victory that ultimately came when he confessed his sin to God. In verse 3, David says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Unconfessed sin is like a disease that eats away at the soul of the unbeliever in the same way that an untreated or an untreatable illness eats away at the body. David's body wasted away because of a spiritual condition, namely unconfessed sin. The weight of the conviction of his sin affected him physically. It affected him spiritually and it affected him emotionally. You see, David knew that he had done wrong. David knew that God knew that he had done wrong, and the guilt of his sin was pressing down upon him. But for whatever reason, David was not ready to confess his sin to God. And so his spiritual condition manifested itself in, in all of those different ways. Now, for some of us, it might look like restless nights, tossing and turning in our beds, stress and anxiety, high blood pressure, loss of appetite, emotional instability, and perhaps those things might even lead to disharmony in our relationships with others, all because we are unwilling to acknowledge the sin that is in our lives. For whatever reason, David kept silence, and his silence caused him much grief and pain. But then we get to verse 5, and there we see David had a change of heart. Now, we're not told what compelled him to do so, but, but David says, Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. He said, I will confess, uh, he said, I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. David said, I put it all on the table. He said, I held nothing back. I confessed everything to you, God, <clears throat> and you forgave me. Because he confessed his sin to God, David was delivered from the guilt of his sin. The weight of his sin was lifted off of his shoulders. When I think about David, these verses and what David's experience was when he confessed his sin, I, I can't help but to think about that old Gaither hymn, He Touched Me. You remember that hymn? Shackled by a heavy burden, neath the load of guilt and shame. Then the hand of Jesus touched me, and now I am no longer the same. And then it says, what? He touched me. Oh, he touched me. And oh, the joy that floods my soul. Something happened, and now I know. He touched me, and he made me whole. God's divine forgiveness is what happened. I don't know about you. But I believe that to really know the blessedness, to really know the jo genuine joy of forgiveness, you have to have experienced the weightiness of guilt. It's hard to get excited about something of which you have no knowledge. Knowing the joy, <clears throat> knowing the relief, knowing the weight of the burden that was lifted off of his shoulders by confessing his sin to God, David wants everyone else to know that same joy. He wants everyone else to know that same relief. 
we know enough about David's story to know that David was speaking from experience. David didn't have to attend a Forgiveness 101 class to figure this thing out. And so he prays in verses 6 and 7 based on his own experience with God's divine forgiveness that others who are living with unconfessed sin will break their silence and confess their sin to God, knowing that in God, not only is there forgiveness, there is also protection and provision and deliverance. Skipping down to verse 11, David ends this psalm by calling the righteous to rejoice and be glad. And so who are the righteous? The Bible teaches us that, there, that apart from God's grace, there are none who are righteous. For we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So then righteousness is not about sinless perfection. Righteousness is about being forgiven. The righteous are those who have been forgiven, whose sins have been covered those whom the Lord does not count their iniquities against them. If that is you, David is calling you to rejoice and be glad. For we serve a great and mighty God who does not treat us as our sins deserve. Indeed, we have reason to rejoice. This psalm, Psalm 32, is an invitation to confess our sin, to receive the blessing of God's divine forgiveness, to rejoice in that forgiveness and live in dependence on God's amazing grace. On Ash Wednesday, the dean of chapel asked us if we are willing to allow God to clean out our innermost selves, if we are willing to acknowledge what is wrong and, and make it right. Ultimately, that's what this Lenten season is about, acknowledging what is wrong and making it right with God. God has put everything in place to make the gift of divine forgiveness possible. However, the onus is on us to make the gift efficacious in our lives. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 21. It says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Through his death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus became the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. God loved us so much that he sent his son to be the once-for-all sacrifice so that our sins could be forgiven. All we have to do is ask. Making it right with God begins with confession and a plea for mercy. As you have examined your innermost self, have you identified anything that you need to confess to God and for which you need to seek God's mercy? If for you the answer is yes, perhaps you know what you need to confess, but aren't quite sure how to pray for mercy. If that is the case, let me suggest to you the words of David in Psalm 51. 
Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. If you pray that prayer with a repentant heart, God will hear and he will forgive. One last point that I would make. While the focus in this season is on God's divine forgiveness, the time is always right. The time is always right for us to forgive those who have wronged us. Just as unconfessed sin eats away at the soul, so does unforgiveness. Not only that, Unforgiveness hinders our relationship with God. As persons who have been recipients of God's divine forgiveness, as persons who have been recipients of God's grace, we are called to be agents of God's grace in the lives of others. Perhaps you're thinking that the wrong that was done to you was so grievous that there is no way that you could possibly forgive. And in and of your own strength, that's probably true. But if the Spirit of God lives in you, you have within yourself the power to do any and everything God would have you to do. Whether you feel it or not, whether we believe it or not, forgiveness is in our nature because we are children of a forgiving God. And so I say it again. We have reason to rejoice because we are a forgiven people. And as we continue our journey to the cross, as we continue to examine the card catalog of our lives and even add new cards to the file drawer, may God give us grace to finish the race. And may we all hear him say, well done, my good and faithful servants. Well done.